Hey, this is Adam Cruz, owner-broker of the Herman London Real Estate Group and host of the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. And this is Shannon St. Pierre, a realtor at Herman London and co-host of the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. Before we begin, we just want to say that we are Realtors, which is different from someone who is simply an agent. The term Realtor identifies a real estate professional who is a member of the National Association of Realtors and subscribes to its strict code of ethics. And even though it's called the St. Louis Realtor Podcast, this show is for everyone who's interested in real estate. Buyers, sellers, Realtors, HGTV watchers, everyone. So if this specific episode isn't exactly what you're looking for, go through our past episodes and I guarantee you'll find a topic that interests you. And if there's a topic you want us to cover, email us at podcast at hermanlondon.com. That's herman, H-E-R-M-A-N-N, london.com. And we'll talk about it on an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy. From the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with Adam Cruz and Shannon St. Pierre. Welcome, everybody, to the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Cruz, here with my co-host, Shannon St. Pierre. Hello. We're super excited today because we have Amy and Amrit Gill in here, famous local developers with major, major projects under their belt. Um, a lot of them in the Grove and all around St. Louis and beyond. One of their latest projects that you've probably heard of is Hotel St. Louis. You guys are awesome. Uh, you're everywhere. Thanks. I was looking on your website and I kind of noticed that your why is to improve neighborhoods. And it seems like your passion is kind of doing that through restoration. But as we've been chatting here, I've been more impressed uh, about how you talk a lot about your why and your core purpose. I'm reading a book now called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And it's like all the successful businesses focus on their why. And that's what you've been doing even in this meeting with us. And it seems like that's what drives your business. Yes. And, and it's very important to, to make sure that everyone within your company also understands the why. Absolutely. Just, just the two of us knowing the why isn't enough. So as we're starting here, do you mind sharing it with us again? Sure. So the... Our mission is to strengthen and enhance the communities that we operate in by redeveloping neglected neighborhoods and making them great places to live, work, and play. Pretty simple, but endless. Because no matter how much you strengthen and enhance the community you operate in, there's always more that you can do to strengthen it or to enhance it some more. Right. And so we've been chatting a little bit here today, and it sounds like your business started way before this, but I remember seeing your... Are they eagles? Yes. Is that eagles? Double-headed eagles. Double-headed <laughs> eagles. I remember seeing your eagles spray-painted on buildings in the Grove. It's literally been 14 years that I, back that I can... So tell me why the eagles? How did you choose the Grove? Can, can you kind of go... Sure. So the first neighborhood we were involved in was the Loop. Oh, you were not. Yes. Oh, okay. In the 80s and early 90s. Is that pre-Joe, with Joe? With Joe, but really more with uh, some of our other friends, Dennis Lutzke and um, Danny uh, Mike, Wall, Mike, Mike Geiger. Geiger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but from there, we worked in Skinker to Bolivar. Uh-huh. We renovated almost uh, 85 buildings wow. in uh, Skinker to Bolivar. And then from there, we migrated to um, the Slough area. Uh, stretch of Lindell that was then abandoned with the big Coronado mm-hmm. and 300,000 Towers, Moolah. There were Moolah. there were a bunch of abandoned buildings. Those abandoned. Wow. Vacant yep. buildings. The Coronado was the most significant. But, I mean, both the Lindell Towers were run down. They weren't vacant, but they were really run down. And then... Um, Moolah was Moolah vacant. Moolah was vacant. Coronado was vacant. The parking lot behind there, there was actually a hotel there. Really weird. The Howard Shriners Johnson. built it. Yeah. Um, there was there was a lot of it was just it was not it's good. Urban blight. It was urban blight exactly, and so a neglected neighborhood. Yeah, just like our you banker love to fix. Yeah. said to him, "I can't make you a however many million of dollar loan for the Coronado because nobody believes that you're legitimate, right? You don't have a logo, you don't have a company name. It was uh-huh. just, just us. It was just us, baby. Yeah. right? And um, 
working out of a truck and we had ANA contracting. That's what we called ourselves, right? Nice. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we were just, you know, working. And I said, you want a logo? I'll get you a logo. And I looked around the Coronado lobby and there was the two-headed eagle. Oh, really? Wow. Over the Listen. fireplace. So yeah, he copied, so we it copied it on a piece of paper. <laughs> got it somehow to make look like a logo. And sure. Called it Restoration St. Louis and there we are. Love said, that. You want a logo? I'll give you a logo. Because he, he, like, he was laughing <laughs> at Problem solved. Let's move on. Yeah. 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 I don't know how you've gotten as far business. as you've gotten with no logo. And, <laughs> you like, know. I didn't realize that was so important. Here you go. Right. Exactly. exactly. That was we 19 working, years ago. You know? So it was 2001. Okay. Wow. So. And then how did you choose the Grove? The Grove was a, na- uh, was a project that I envisioned as a defensive project originally. But the more Amy and I talked about it, the more we realized we had an opportunity here to um, basically experiment with how far is a neighborhood gone before it's so far gone that you can't bring it back to life. Mm-hmm. And the and the Grove had 38% of the, of the structures in the Grove that were remaining. Remember, there were a lot of empty lots, too. Right. But 38% of the remaining structures out of the 816 that were in the Grove at the time um, were vacant. More than half of those were so derelict that they really should have been torn down years prior to that. Right. We saved a lot of them. Uh, we saved structures where all we had was the front wall and a, you know, sometimes maybe a side wall, but the roof was in the basement and the back had collapsed and the side had collapsed. And we still saved them because we wanted to keep as much of the historic look on Manchester as possible. That's where your passion comes in, right? The, the, the why is to improve the neighborhoods, and the passion is kind of doing that through restoration instead of just rebuilding. It would have been so exactly. much easier to oh, tear yes. it down and rebuild, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. But the oh, architectural be... detail is then so long. And not just that, the history. The building, buildings are, I mean, as Daniel Burnham put it, or, uh, you know... They're single and unrepeatable, just like a human being. Yeah. Right? Oh, Sullivan. that's beautiful. That's so, Sullivan. Every building Lewis is Sullivan. single and unrepeatable, like a person. Okay, right. I love that. So, Especially in the city of St. Louis. I mean, we have these amazing structures, and I think that, it's, that St. Louis and the, the structures don't get the attention that they deserve. But, I mean, if I you agree. were to go to another city, they don't have this well, kind of beauty. So in 2005, we mounted, or 2003, I think it was, we mounted a pretty aggressive, almost um, frenetic effort to try and save the old Harris Teachers College um, on Teresa. We call it the Teresa School. Okay. And uh, it was going to be torn down to make a parking lot for a Walgreens. And if you think about a school so like sad. that, it with was its the, history, the first William Bittner design school, and it sits in the actually. Right next door, right now, to the collegiate school, which is the old style school. And if you look, the two schools sit side by side. Now, ours now is lofts. But if you look at the two schools side by side, the the old school that St. Louis kept has little tiny windows and narrow hallways. Narrow hallways and it's very... This school has 30-foot wide hallways. It was a place where the students congregated with these really big windows. And all this light in the classroom, wow. which the old style schools didn't have. They were like prisons. And so it kind of revolutionized school design. The whole country. For the world. For the world. And they were going to tear it down. They were like, going to tear it down Whitner, and make a parking William lot Bittner for a Walgreens design. with absolutely just no consideration for the, for the number of stories that you'd be silencing. Mm-hmm. Aside wow. from the fact that that was the first. That's it was the white teacher's college. And teachers like then, like now, were liberal. And they were the first integrated black and white teachers college, and it was so called Harris Stowe. Harris Stowe Teachers College, and that was that the first. That was the Harris School. That's awesome. And now, then it became Harris Stowe, and then it moved to the university and became the official Harris Stowe School. But it started there, right? So it has a lot of history about Which is interesting St. Louis. Harris Stowe is a historical black college. It's one of the few well, in the country. Was, Stowe was the was the historically black teachers college and Harris and Harris was, was the white, the teachers, white college. teachers college. Oh and my they goodness, merged I didn't. Oh, and became my Harris Stowe yes. in what is now our Teresa. So, and um, so, so that's all, all those stories would be silenced mm-hmm. because somebody thought it would make a better parking lot than keep it keep the building. Sure. And and the schools in particular are repositories of the stories of our people. 
And to lose those, I feel, is very detrimental for our community. So it tied right into our mission, and we fought a pretty good battle there. And you won. And we won. And we won. I think it's amazing. <laughs> but we were incredibly lucky because uh, Jim Komen actually had the contract on the building. And he stepped away. And he, st- and he walked away. Once he heard, like, kind of everything that we had to say, Bob Duffy worked for the Post back then, and he wrote a big article about why it was so important to save the school. And Jim Komen actually was very kind, and he walked away from the contract, which was, you know... I don't know that the school just and it, I mean, it allowed you to. It was an enforceable it. real estate contract, and, sure, right? And the school and I mean, the public, board of public education or whatever it was at the time that had control of it said, "Okay, well, now you've caused the contract to be withdrawn, so buy it." Yeah, <laughs> so we're like, "Okay, we'll buy yes. it." Absolutely, we we'll put our money we where our mouth is. Yeah, Absolutely. amazing. And okay. we renovated it, and we opened it, and we I renovated mean, probably it? twenty buildings on that block now. Because the block had a lot of drug issues. Uh-huh. And um, SLU's, at the time, a uh, way to do that because it's Park Avenue and then Vista and then the college has their med campus. It was between Compton and Grand. Um, okay. SLU's remedy for that was just to buy up everything that became available and tear it down. Mm. And we so kept we saying... the opposite direction. Oh, right? So mm-hmm. we started buying up everything that, you know, all the drug houses and everything that became vacant, we would buy it and rehab it. Now, SLU is paying developers to come in and, and build, build stuff. on those very lots where they tore down pretty viable buildings back in the day. So. Oh, okay. Which, I mean, you know, more power to SLU that they well, realized that right. it should still be a neighborhood. Yeah, and you, talk, you guys talked about bandwidth and stuff like that. Maybe that's all they had the bandwidth to do at that time, I guess. I don't know. Right. Who right. knows? So you so you said okay we're going to do the Grove and kind of tell so us the, again so the story. So the Grove was kind of started out as a defensive project. Because what does that mean? I, and what do you mean by defensive? Because I sensed that it wasn't sustainable the way uh, property was appreciating. Everybody was a developer. Or depreciating. Suddenly, there had to be a recession coming. Was my feeling. I called and it a little too early. And this was two thousand and this was two thousand four to two thousand five. Right. I called it a little too early, <laughs> as it turned out, because. Things didn't really tank till 2007. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started the project. We started gathering property in 2004. And in August of 2005, the Post-Dispatch, one of the Post-Dispatch reporters, kind of sniffed it out. So we got ahead of it and went ahead and told him what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time we owned about 47 buildings in the Grove or 57 buildings in the Grove or something like that. So we hadn't quite reached our 10% mark that we wanted to hit. Um, and the minute, of course, he broke the news, prices jumped and made it harder for us to, because the speculators, of course, all immediately jump in and buy buildings to speculate on. And that, that's, that's something we've kind of dealt with uh, for the last 20 years, even in Davenport. Once they found out the gills are coming, pro- property values jump and wow. all the speculators come in and grab property and then want to sell it to us. That's really interesting you have that kind of power. You know, you <laughs> no, it's not walk power. Into it's a not curse. power. It's, it's a curse. So, because we use a lot of shell. We use jump. a lot of shell, pro- uh, shell corporations to buy property now and in, you, in community. And there are, there are developers yeah. who come with, like, who follow us in the neighborhoods. I mean, um, very good developers. So like Austin so. at Grove Properties, was dating a girl that worked for me uh-huh. and came over to our office and said, hey, I want to invest. Where should I invest? And I said, hey, you know, we're working in the Grove. He couldn't have been 25, <laughs> right? He was he a was young guy that. and he had bought, you know, he's buying his first house. He was like, all right. So he's done tons of stuff in the Grove. Like he's done fabulously well because, you know, he was like, okay, I'll go where you go, right? Um, well, there are several real estate developers who kind of just, they'll call us and say, okay, where are you going next? Right. Which just goes along with your mission because your mission doesn't say anything about profits. It's all about making right. the neighborhoods better. So if you can go somewhere and other people help you yeah. essentially with your mission. If they're good, exactly. it's awesome. the community. As long as they're doing it. So we do not buy occupied properties. We'll only buy an occupied property if it's a nuisance property mm-hmm. and there's a drug dealer who lives there or um, you know other people who break the law. Like one building we bought, was, it, was there was a prostitution ring that was being run out of there. Um, so we, we buy vacant property 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. 
So, and then how do you find the properties? Are you just going up and down? Are you like going to tax sales? Are you just driving the neighborhoods? Mm-hmm. So, well, everything, everything, all the above. All of the, all of the above. Okay. When you focus on an area like that, I guess it makes yeah. it easier because you know every building. You can yeah. almost learn every eight hundred fifty-one stories. We literally map out the entire neighborhood block by block. Who owns which property? Okay. What condition each single property is in? Is there any signs that any investment is occurring in that property because if the person is investing in the property we have no interest we want to help them Mm -hmm. because they are doing what we're doing which is strengthening and enhancing that community Mm -hmm. but if there's a vacant property and the owner isn't spending any any money to even you know make an effort to redevelop the property make it habitable again that's a prime target that's who we want because remember we're trying to buy the worst 10%. Ten percent, right? Of the and then, are you reaching out to the owners directly? Oh, yeah. We're directly to the owners. <laughs> okay. And sometimes we'll overpay for a property if it's significant enough. Like, do you know the property the sauce on the side is in now? Yes. So we way overpay. Good restaurant, for that. by the way. Thank you. Uh, it's not our. I mean, they're great. <laughs> they're fantastic. Yeah. They're they are. So, so we way overpaid for the property, knowing the building, for, the whole building, yes. in which is okay. Knowing that it had catastrophic structural failure. Oh. All the steel was soft as butter. Wow. The only thing holding that entire building up was inertia. Wow. We had to take that building down brick by brick like a Lego set, put in new steel, starting with the curbs at the sidewalk and above the storefronts. That's all brand new steel. And then put the brick back like a Lego set again, brick wow. by brick. So what Numbered. makes steel soft? Because I thought that was one Water, of those. Water, it rusts. Just, it just completely Because it had, it had, okay. you could poke a finger yeah, through you it. You could put your hand through it in a lot of places. <laughs> it was, our engineer went in there once. He goes, I'm never going in there again. I just want you to know that. Like, He's that's like, not I a thing I'm going to do. it's surprising that this building isn't sitting in the middle of the street because it should have just collapsed. Part of it was. Part of it did well, collapse. Well, part of it did. The corner did collapse. But Before okay. we owned it. So your goal was to buy the bottom 10%. You told us your goal was to the buy the bottom 10%, the worst 10% in the Grove, and then you were going to make it the best 10%. And it worked. And it worked. And that so was, when so we that was started, 80-something properties. rents in the neighborhood were around 50 cents a square foot. Okay. And so we come in, and we're redeveloping properties, and we're spending $200 a square foot and putting in real hardwood floors, real granite, Card key access, cameras for security, because mm-hmm. security is very important. Um, it, Marvin windows on the front of the buildings, you know, really nice Quaker windows on the rest of the building, uh, high-end finishes with great appliances, etc. And the rent was 50 cents a square foot. So I, we were writing a check every month to cover <laughs> yeah. the deficit. Rents today are close to $2 a square foot. Wow. Anybody can make money at $2 a square foot. Uh Love that. So, again, we couldn't have done it without the State Historic Tax Rate Program, which was amazing at the time. It's a broken program today. But back then, it was an amazing program that worked for a project like this. The Federal Historic Tax Rate Program, which, again, is slightly broken today because of the 20% per year as opposed to 100% of the credits in the year that you actually place in service. Um, and then City of St. Louis incentives, which were very simple back then. I mean, they, all we used was tax abatement. Tax abatement. Ten years of tax abatement. Tax abatement ran out on most of these properties a long time ago. Um, appraised values on the City of uh, St. Louis website for the Grove, that you know now roughly 900 buildings that we're talking about, mm-hmm. have risen by over $800 million. Wow. So, <laughs> so if you think about it, the city did not invest anything in this because most of these properties All they did were vacant. Was hand out some tax abatement. That's it. And they they weren't getting any money. I mean, they tax abatement. Any money anyway. Tax well, abatement. Actually, if they were getting five hundred dollars, they were still getting five hundred dollars for that ten years. But now property taxes have risen over eight hundred million dollars. Not property taxes. I mean, property value. Value. Yes. Values. But if you think about and how much taxes. And therefore, property taxes. Yes. yes. Right? Yeah. They're making the just a killing. Is uh, right? 17 to Over very little investment. So. so you started in um, 2004, 2005, and then you took this 10%. How long did it take you to kind of really redevelop that 10%? That 10%? So the recession intervened. 
yeah. And we had banks, especially, and we work a lot with community banks. Yes. We tend to share some of the same philosophies of, about community. Mm-hmm. That's why they're community banks. <laughs> but we worked a lot with those kind of community banks, and some of them were failing during the recession. And we had construction loans, and with a couple of them, you know, they hadn't paid the draws, you know, construction draws for three months or four months, and we'd racked up two or three million dollars in construction costs. And then they called us and said, you know what, we don't have any money. We can't fund these draws. Wow. So you've got all these people that need to be paid. We have all these people that need to be paid. The loans have been basically withdrawn. Mm -hmm. And so we went to all the people that we owed money to and explained. I just told them what what happened. Here's what's happened. And I'm going to pay you back. Luckily, we had very successful properties like the Coronado and so forth that were cash flowing really, really well. Um, And I said, I'm going to pay you back, but it's going to take me a little while. And 95% of them said, you know what? We'll work with you. Wow. We know you're good for the money. And Yeah, there were 5% that went and put liens on the property or whatever. We don't do business with those people and never did again. But... With a lot of our regular suppliers, we still have wonderful relationships with them. We still do business with them. Well, you and go we paid and every one of them back eyes. every single dime. The only people who didn't get paid back 100% of what they were owed were the ones who went out and put liens on the property. Uh-huh. There, since they wanted to be uh, combative about it, I let my attorneys work out deals with them, which were typically 70, 80, 60, 70% of what was owed, and we wrote them the check. So, interesting. It's interesting, yeah. yeah. But the the recession was really hard on real estate developers. I don't think people, I think most regular people believe that, you know, um, real estate developers who had properties that were taken by banks were people that were not paying their loans. But we had cash flowing properties that we were paying the note on where the banks said, well, now it's appraised for like two million more or three million more. Less. Or I mean, less. And so you either have to give me that three million dollars, or we're going to take your property. But there what- was there was a lot of mark to market that that the banks was scrambling to try and meet, where the regulators were saying you have to mark this property to market value every year. So without our knowledge, they were going out and getting an appraisal. Appraisers had been beat up, big time for having inflated values because values had risen so sharply in the years preceding that, that regulators were saying those values weren't real. Mm-hmm. The appraisers, you guys are culpable as well. Right. So appraisers were being very conservative. And so those values were dropping really fast. So even on, let's say, a loan that we'd had for three years, we still have two years left to run, it's a five-year term, Right. We've always paid on time. The property is cash flowing beautifully. No signs of distress. No signs of distress whatsoever. And then they... The appraiser, bank would get a secret appraisal, basically, because we would hear nothing about it. Then the bank would show up with an appraisal that said, hey, that property is less than half the value it was when when we made the loan. And you need to bring us back in balance, back to 80% or 75% loan to value. So you need to write us a check for X. And, I mean, what and was their was goal? After, like, on property yeah, after property. Assuming you couldn't do that, property. What, what was their goal? They wanted to foreclose on these properties? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, Why? In yeah. some cases. But in a lot of the cases, there were a they were couple just of banks scared. in town that decided that a lot of our properties were um, Pretty valuable. attractive yeah. and valuable. And they could get a hold of them. Because we don't sit around on millions and millions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and they were trying to get their hands on them. It, it was it was a very interesting time, and I think a lot of people don't don't understand what happened to a lot of real estate people. That they think that it was something that real estate people did to themselves. But a yeah. lot of the time, the, reality, the banks were it was done to them and by the banks and so by appraisers. What happened with those? Were you able to keep them? Oh yeah, yeah. we we did not uh, we did not uh, default on a single loan. But how did you, did you um, have to come to the table with, you know, X amount for yes. different and, properties? And lo- where'd you get the money for that? Well, luckily, uh, we had built wonderful relationships. With other, with other banks. Financial institutions. Other financial institutions. Mm-hmm. We had uh, banks that came to the rescue. 
and took out the PNCs of the world. You know, I shouldn't have said the name, but there it is. Um, and we were able to pay them off in full and okay. stay in business. We did. That was the only times in our careers where we weren't growing. We were actually shrinking. We laid off a grand total of 78 people in the construction side of the business at the time and hired back about 10 of them immediately into the property management side, okay. um, mainly Bosnians that we had been with us for a long time. I remember a lot of so. this happening, and I, I kind of consider myself to be what I'm calling a child of the recession, where now I'm... I like I only do buy and holds because I'm so afraid of the development side because of all the people that I met who lost it all. You know, like mm-hmm. you guys sounds like you could have done. And I've been like afraid of it and that's sort of held me back this being a in real estate during that time versus people I know that get into real estate now and they're like things are they great. Yeah, this is amazing, they, you know. They don't know how bad it can get and how quickly right. it can deteriorate that's, because that's it scary. all happened in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went from just I mean Basically, the conditions are very similar right now to the way they were in 2006, if uh-huh. you think about it. Right. Uh, everything was going really well. Unemployment was very low. Um, we had different challenges. I felt like it wasn't sustainable. And the Grove was actually in response to my feeling that it wasn't sustainable and we needed a defensive project. And the whole thought was, if we're going to do 80 buildings, well, it's technically 80 small projects. Uh Mm -hmm. And so our exposure is a lot less than it would be on a Coronado, 300,000 square foot single, $48 million development, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and really that was true as well. The mistake we made was in preparing for what we thought was a big recession that was coming, we paid down a lot of debt. We We did balance sheet management and made our balance sheet look really, really strong. But in the process, we got rid of a lot of cash because we were paying down debt. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. we should have really held on to the cash and kept yeah. the debt and not done all that balance sheet management that we did. But, but, but hindsight's you know, always twenty twenty. But right? I, never, like, I, I thought a real estate recession was coming, not a financial recession. And so I what called is that it done completely for, wrong in the end. What has that done for your approach now or how you guys kind of handle things like that? Oh, we're... we're we're handling things very differently. I mean, we're planning now. for oh, another recession. We never we're a different company today. We never we had any non-recourse debt. We never went to Fannie Mae because we we just figured, you know, we'll... We never we walked away local from anything loans, anyway. You know? So mm-hmm. what, what do we need non-recourse for? Because we're never going to walk away from anything. Mm-hmm. We're always going to pay back every cent we borrow. Well, now we do a lot of non-recourse because the non-recourse people really can't come after you in a recession. Mm -hmm. And so that makes us a much stronger company. And they become your team, right? Right. They're helping you during the recession, right? Instead of trying to, they want you to be okay, you know? Whereas these, some of the banks, they don't care if you're okay or not. And some of them, I mean, I have to say, you know, like uh, Pulaski, which is now BC and Great Southern and... Um, you know, there were so many bankers who Dubuque Bank and Trust. Dubuque Bank and Trust. They came to our rescue. They were like, "Oh yeah, we know you. We know you're good." We're, you know, Love that. back then, Eagle Bank. They were, Eagle they Bank. Were, yeah, they were one of our close. You know, very strong. Bankers. It pays to have relationships, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Well, I mean, they knew in that, so many ways. They knew that we weren't like. It's yeah. not. We're not high rollers. You know, we're we're like regular. <laughs> As I always say, like regular working people, like well, our just people. trying to make a difference well, in and the back neighborhood. Back when we started our company, um, and this goes back probably to our socialist roots a little bit, but we decided that we would never pay ourselves more than eight times our lowest paid employee. So today we have employees who are paid more than us because we're now the last couple of years have been really nice because our lowest paid lowest paid employee. Pay rate has actually gone up pretty dramatically, yeah. so we can give ourselves pay raises too. I but, love that. Though. <laughs> but um, you read about all these CEOs getting paid, you know, a million times what the lowest paid employee is getting paid, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and it's like it makes absolutely no sense. But again, it's probably part of our socialist roots that we started the company with, you know, back in the day. When you when you had all these properties, you rehabbed eighty properties in the Grove to start, for example, something like eighty. Are you selling them? Are you flipping them? Are you keeping them as rentals? So we've sold a number of them one-off to owner-operators, people like Rue Yawitz, 
uh, and the guys who were uh, who were operating Sanctuary back in the day. Gramophone. So you're talking Real. about the commercial Gramophone, stuff, yeah? Yeah, it's. Uh, so, so they were operating the commercial. We sold them the whole building, including the residential that is in the building. Okay. Uh, so the that, apartments that sit above on the second and yeah. so that they would floors, have a deeper so. investment in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and that we hoped would lead to a much stronger commercial strip. Mm-hmm. Remember and that it has. It has, I believe. Um, we are actually right now currently um, taking a small package to market, just uh, probably sixty units or so. But we're replacing it almost immediately with 60 new units that we're putting in in the new building across from Urban Chestnut. Mm-hmm. And then we also have another uh, project <coughs> in the planning stages for that one block of Arco. Uh, yeah. The 4200 block of Arco there. Mm-hmm. Right where it, it kind of goes off in an angle from Manchester. Um, that'll be a mixed-use project. Okay. Uh, hospitality as well as uh, residential. Um, probably around 65 or 70 units and about 80 room uh, hotel. There, so. I found it so interesting. I was looking through your social media, looking through your website as I was kind of preparing for today. And, you know, I saw a lot of the huge projects that you guys are doing that I hope we can talk about. But I, the one of the things I thought was really interesting was that you're still doing, you know, houses, right? Or mm-hmm. like there's a couple on Swan, I think, that you're doing, right? That's and correct. It's like, and- you go from Hostel St. Louis that your next phone call could be like, we need a new water heater over here at this one house. And you're like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, we got to do it. We have a wonderful team, though, that's been with us for 20, 25 years uh, that runs that maintenance division for us. And okay. the building division. And the building division. So, you so. Have, so tell us kind of about the makeup of the company, if you don't mind. You have, sure. you guys are the, the CEO and the chair, the president, right? You're the CEO. So we have Restoration St. Louis, uh-huh. which is uh, the development company. Okay. We have Checkmate Design, which is where the architects and the interior designers work, and that's uh, that's our design company. That's who Restoration that's, hires to design right, the buildings. Right, exactly. and that's uh-huh. my company. They're one client okay. company, so. typically. They, they really don't do work for anyone else. Uh-huh. They really just work for Restoration. Okay. Okay. Under that, we have A&A Contracting, which was our you first company. Yeah, yeah, still have have it. It. And that's where the people who swing the hammers, and that's where they right. all got work. got it. That's where they are. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we have Front Door. Which is a property management company. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then okay. we have Innkeeper Hospitality Services, which is our hospitality management company. So That's we manage our own restaurants hotels. and hotels. We manage our own restaurants and hotels. And each yes. one of those companies, do they all have their own sort of presidents? And they, no, they, each one of them. Well, Checkmate Design does because Amy is. Because I run all the yeah. design and architecture. I'm very particular and very so, hands on. Um, yes. Hands on. <laughs> and I had to have something where he couldn't like pee in my pool, basically. Uh-huh. Okay. Because, you know, that's a thing. <laughs> well, you guys are married and, you know. Yeah, yeah. So 30 years this wow. year. Congratulations. Congrats. So, um, but, but we have, <laughs> we have uh, executive staff. But we own it all, so we're right. always, he's yeah. so, always the president, or I'm the president. It, so we have never really company. brought investors in, aside from you know federal tax credit investors, just to monetize the federal credits or something. But in terms of equity investors, it's just Amy and I. Because how do you ask someone to come in and make an equity investment, given our mission, and the fact that we may act like a not-for-profit right. for years? We may never make a profit for five years before the tide turns and we start to make a profit mm-hmm. in a particular neighborhood because that's our mission. So we're more focused on the mission and it would be very hard to have a fiduciary duty to a to an equity investor that says, hey, we're going to maximize your profit. The two missions are not compatible. Right. Okay. So that's why we've never taken equity so, investors. Uh, but what about on the commercial side? How do you f- create the funding for those large developments like Hotel St. Louis? And- that's our money. It's still your money. We write the checks. Okay. When we go over budget, there's no other equity. There's no one to, 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 to have. There's no one to look to. It's just, yeah, we look at yeah. each other. Oh, you Usually, have to explain to each he other. looks at me and says, why did you ever spend? Right? And you go, that's my job. I'm, a, I'm the wife. I just love to know like, about kind of that sort of organizational structure about, you know, who, who can call you. And it's. Like the chef doesn't call you and say we're out of lettuce, right? No. They all have, everyone has. They, yeah, they do so. call us, though. There's they a do few call people us. reporting. They'll call us and, for new ideas. Yeah, but, they call us um, for ideas. They'll call us for, uh, I mean, if you have a. I'm a frustrated chef. So yeah. trust me, I've gone and given my chefs 
cooking classes, and I don't know if they're laughing, but very often they do end up learning yeah. from me just as I learned from them. I so. saw, you know, I, I, again, I was looking on your social media, and I saw where you were, like, making breakfast or something for a bunch of your chefs that came in. And <laughs> that's kind of a part of your culture, too, I guess. And yes. It's nice for them to be able to hear from you and, I'm sure, instilling the vision and the why and all that stuff into them. Yeah. But, exactly. you know, if you have a problem, I'll give you a funny example. So um, several years ago, uh, we um, we did the Holiday Inn. So bank banker turnabout is fair play, right? So they rescued us, and then they had a problem, the and they needed yeah. to sell this property, the Holiday Inn at Lindbergh and 44, oh, called the Viking. Oh, right? right? Yes. yes. Okay. You guys did that? So, yeah. You did? And, so we're still doing it. Yeah. Um, and there was it was failing there was no money they were not going to loan anybody any money it was it was a mess and we took over as the receiver of that property initially to help the bank does that mean you around. bought the bad debt no, no. the receiver the bank, is like the bankruptcy the court, the administrator court, okay. it was a court appointed receiver and then the bank begged us to, to to buy the property they needed it off their books and so so we ended up buying and renovating that property and you is twisted is it twisted tree? Twisted tree, right? Yeah, that's a tenant. A tenant. That's, that's a tenant. the Cybergs. They're yeah. awesome. They're wonderful. Okay. And if you haven't eaten there, you really should because it's I amazing. Have. I had lunch there. So I had a great. Good steak. Yeah. You know. Um, but anyway, you guys just so, get to walk into restaurants all over town and go, "Oh, lunch here." Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. No, they still have, we still have to pay. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's another rule that we have. We pay even in our own restaurants, uh, yeah. right? Because we don't want anybody thinking that you know, like we, we're not paying. That's not right. So, um, so here's the funny thing. So we had an issue where, uh, the housekeeping staff wasn't working out and we had to terminate several people and we didn't have enough people in housekeeping. So I said, I know how to do laundry. I'll go downstairs and do laundry. So I'm downstairs doing laundry and I'm folding sheets, right? And the, at the holiday Inn. at the holiday and I'm folding wow. sheets, right? Love it. And it's five o'clock and there's a shift change. And this elderly gentleman who worked for us came in and, I didn't know him. They had hired him like a couple of weeks before. And um, he sees me and we start chatting and we're folding sheets, right? And we're talking and we're pulling laundry out of the washing machine and we're folding and, you know. And uh, finally he says, he goes, well, so what do you do here, right? <laughs> he goes, he goes, I'm not, you know, like, are you like the salesperson? Do you da 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 da? Because you weren't in the uniform, I guess. Right. I was just in jeans and a t-shirt because it's hot down there you know it's hot in the laundry room even in the winter and uh <laughs> so anyway and the gm had walked in and she looks at him and she goes well she owns the place and he almost had a heart attack like he looks <laughs> at me his eyes get like five feet around and he goes you own this hotel and i said yeah and he goes lady i've been working in hotels for 30 years in laundry rooms and he said, I have never once in 30 years met or seen an owner of the hotels I've worked in. And I said, wow. You know, like that he really... said, don't call me lady. You're fired. <laughs> it was funny. No. And I said, well, I said, I'm Amy. Right. And he just couldn't get over it. It's awesome. And to this day, still works for us to this day. Every time I see him, he's like, Amy, how are you? That's amazing. You know, and we just talk and. Um, but it's funny to me because there's not a job in these places that, that we, we haven't, haven't done. done. We've done every I've one of those I've cleaned up puke and toilets um, and I've changed cleaned sheets rooms and... as needed to help the housekeepers if I'm in Davenport or whatever. Um, of course, I do more audits now than I do actual cleaning, but, you know. I mean, we still, we still. Well, we've done every I single job. I sometimes think that's the, the secret hotel. to success in some businesses where the owners get in and are willing to do any job, and that makes the employees feel more valued, though that I, you're willing to do it. And you're I not th- asking I anyone to do. I think it's part of the culture of a place, right? Right. So, oh, given correct. our core values of passion, this is what... humility, and perseverance. Right. Humility means none of us is too good. Is to... above. Or too mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. to do anything. If the best, if the best thing I can do at any given moment is to just pick up trash, then that's what I'll do. Because if that's the best way I can further the goals of my company at that particular moment, then fine, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's wonderful about this country too. I mean, I, I don't think as Americans we really realize that the dignity of labor is not something you find everywhere around the world. I could not do this in India, for example. Why? 
because so my father's a retired lieutenant general he was like the colin powell of uh, of india okay. statesman household name war hero you know all those things right mhm my mother if she if she had seen some of the things i did when i came here and what i do for as a, for a living she'd have a heart attack because it's considered beneath you to do those things to pick up you the trash people, or to you have people who do that okay and so in a lot of cultures that's the way it is what is unique about this country is the dignity of labor you can do anything and it doesn't demean you it doesn't make you less than anyone else it's true i came I've to this country i washed windows on delmar i cleaned houses i cleaned a mother's house it was great money <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, my mom overpaid him because he was cute. <laughs> <laughs> I've wow. heard I've heard stories before of people that have come to our. We're totally off topic, but I, you know, it's interesting. I've heard stories of people that have come to the country to work at Mastercard or whatever, get some of these jobs, but they don't know how to do, or I guess they're maybe not willing to do the things like you're saying are kind of beneath them. Correct. And, but so then now they're showing up to work with dirty clothes on. Because they don't, they don't know, know how, how to or they don't want to do laundry. Because they never did laundry, laundry and it's beneath them to do yeah. laundry. But they don't realize, yeah, but it's also beneath me to show up to work in dirty clothes, you know. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thing yeah. that happens when you oh, switch cultures right. like that, I guess. It, and right. it's funny and it's... It, but... Or cook. Yeah. Cooking is considered beneath you. You have a cook that shows up and does the cooking. Really? Oh, yeah. So they just don't eat now. <laughs> and you don't, yeah. well... <laughs> they go out. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's... It, the. I think the fun thing about the two of us is we've both done a lot of this work, right? We've both swung a hammer. We've both... I was a carpenter for years. I mean, I, I framed up walls and I taught a lot of the guys who work for me today. They still laugh about the fact that the best trainer they ever had was me. Yeah. <laughs> so mean, what are your core values again? Passion, humility, and perseverance? Perseverance. 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 never give up. Okay. Because you never give up. Humility kind of has a few different... Uh, mm-hmm. Meanings, right? And so you said that it means that you guys don't talk about it yourselves a lot. That's that's the way we. That's that's one of the one of the ways that we um, stayed humble was a lot of other people took credit for a lot of the work we did. Uh-huh. But also <laughs> humility in terms of that you're willing to do things anything. that anything that needs to be done, right? And passion, just you just can't help that one. I guess you're but obviously it just passionate with passion. about what you If you don't have passion for what you do, you should go out and find what your passion is and go get that job. Because ultimately, you can't make a difference in the world we live in unless you have true passion for what it is you're doing. So how did you get started in de- redevelopment, in development, residential, commercial? Oh, wow. We're going to go back. Yeah. So then how did right you now. start? Hey, yeah. hey, baby. So we, uh, so we lived in an apartment. Um, in the loop. <laughs> in the loop. And um, we had an amazing landlord, Dennis Lutsky. Love him. Still a landlord in the loop. Nice little shout um, out. And uh, he, um, the building that I we had lived in the previous year went up for sale in foreclosure in uh, 1990. And June 6th of 1990. We knew the building because we had lived in it. So we wow. knew what it was like. And so we went to him and we said, well, you know, like, what do you think? Should we Should we try to buy that building? And Denny was great, and he said, "Yeah, you you kids can do that. You can do this. You you know you'll you'll be great." Right? I think how old were we? Twenty that twenty eight no, years ago. Twenty four. Right. I was twenty four I mean, we years kids, old. Right. Yeah. So we asked him how you do it, and he <laughs> said, "Well, it's in a foreclosure sale. So you call this lady at Bank of America. That's who Show. had it." What is Kim, not Kimberly Nonheim. Kimberly Nonheim. That's I'll right. never forget her name. Yeah. And anyway, so we called her, and she was really nice. And she said, "Okay, so we're the bank's opening bid is going to be fifty thousand dollars, and so you need to, if you, but you have to have the cash." How right? big was the building? Because you have family. to pay for it, but it was a yeah. three-family apartment building in the loop, a big one though. It was a nice size, three family. Okay, three family. Um, and so we called my grandma. We need $50,000. And we yes. said, Mom. we borrow $50,000 for like four months. My grandmother loaned us $50,000. At 12% interest. Yes. She was she was a loan shark. And, <laughs> Which was really high at the time. But. So, you know, we were like, okay. So uh, so we had this $50,000 that we borrowed from my grandma, and we uh, went to the, to the courthouse. Dennis went with us and stood around, and there were all these old, at the time, you said he was basically old Jewish landlords, right? Mm-hmm. And they were all standing around. 
And, and he, they don't like new people coming in. Well, right? no. but he went to each one he of them. He went to each one of them and said, this property, it's off limits. It's theirs. He said, we're giving these kids a chance. We're going to give these kids a chance, everybody. Right? Wow. Don't Can I bid. take him along with me? To <laughs> yeah. that you know? awesome. And so, so. A lot of people he, have helped us over the years. He, wow. Not, he like so. stood there. Right? And so <laughs> she says, she says, very hairy, blah, 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 this piece of property. And she goes, the bank bids $50,000. So I go, okay, what do we do? Do we bid like 51? And she goes, no, 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 no. $50,001. And we were like, okay. So we go, $50,001. And she was like, does anybody else bid? And all the landlords landlords are quiet. And and she goes, sold for $50,001. And they all started clapping. clapping. It was like like the nicest thing. That's the most wild story. We did not even know any of them, right? We didn't know any of them and still don't know any of them. And but it was just like the nice thing that he, he was like, okay, we're going to give these kids a chance, right? And so that was our first building. So Amrit was working on it nights and weekends. We both had a full-time I, We both job. had jobs back then. Mm-hmm. One night we decided to do vinyl floors. And oh, we're not telling that story. He glued. He put all the vinyl. Please do. He put all the vinyl on the, all the glue down on the kitchen floor. And we and realized I'd painted myself roll into it out. a corner. Oh, no. And, he could, and the vinyl for all vinyl floors is so sticky that he made like two steps and then he couldn't move. Oh, and no. he ended up ripping his shoes, like the sole of his shoes stayed, stayed on the floor. And the tops. And wow. so and anyway, we had to get it off with a roofing spade <laughs> the next day. Like that was the only way we could get it out of there. It was unbelievable. I've never seen learn, right? We Yeah. yeah. I renovated that particular so building. I don't own it anymore. I sold it back in, what, 2015 or something like that. But four or five years ago. But um, I renovated that building. Four times. Wow. Because I learned a little bit each time and went, oh, oh wow, we did a terrible job. All right, guys, we're gutting it again. We would go, we would go, oh, my God, it what was a my, horrible job. It was my did classroom. Really it's how I taught a lot of the Bosnians and, and you know, my, the guy who's the chief operating officer of my construction company. But I think been it's fantastic with me 25 years. building that you could right. <laughs> learn on and oh my, learn with. It was so bad, though. Some yeah. of the things that we did. But he's from Belarus. So we have a lot of immigrants. That there are lots of things too. that cock can cover up. But anyway, <laughs> but it was, it was a funny... And, to to give a little shout out, so you know, we started over there. We did thirty buildings in, in the, the loop. loop, yeah. Wow. And there were guys like Dennis Letsky and Mike Geiger, who Danny Wald, Danny Wald, who formed a lot of our opinions on how to create a neighborhood because these mm-hmm. guys really wanted that to be a neighborhood. So they funded this Parkview Gardens Association, and the way these guys did this, um, they so the Gardens Association was to provide summer camps for kids that lived in the neighborhood so they weren't alone in the neighborhood they did beautification they did flowers they had a guy who cleaned up they did alley lighting Mm. so they would pay to put alley lights up on the um, not just that they they would provide free lights to landlords if they'll just put them up Uh, the porch lights rear you know so that because the whole thought was that a well-knit neighborhood has less crime sure and well, that's still and that's, that's still why, true. Still Even true. Today. That's why yeah. the loop, like all of a sudden, it started to rise. Like there was it's just these guys. These... They are the ones who who brought the the, the loop. loop back to life. Original, the unsung heroes. Wow. Yes. Right. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Now and they, a lot of people like take credit for it. And, and and Joe, who's a neighbor of mine, and he did a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And he gets most of the credit. But there were a lot of other people who did a lot but of these, work. But to tell to you, like these guys were all guys who worked out of their basements and. Every Friday night, as long as I can remember, we had to volunteer. Everybody thought you had to volunteer twice a month and go to this bingo hall. The VFW hall down on Ashland. Yeah. And work the bingo. And that was our, how we made money. That's how we raised money. This was before legal gambling came into Missouri. Yeah. So on a nice night, we would make seven or $8,000 profit. Right. What? There'd be three or 400 women in there, mostly women. Playing bingo. Smoking like chimneys. Smoking oh, yeah. like chimneys. I think if I die of lung cancer, it's That's because of those reason. days. Uh-huh. And I, I would have to do the bingo, like the little thing. And well, I, I, had I had to sell pull tabs because I was pretty cute back then. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and That's the problem, those, right? The pull, pull those things, those, the money out from under their bra. <laughs> they'd be like, Sonny, come over come here. here. <laughs> right? It was like super cute. 
And uh, it was just so funny. And <laughs> they are serious about their bingo, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but that's how these guys raise money for the neighborhood. So when we started developing neighborhood like planning ideas, and we have a lot of them. Instead of bingo, we thought CID. And what's the purpose of the CID? The same stuff that they were doing at the landlords. Alley lighting, security. Security. Yeah. You know, um, helping kids have something to do in the summer so they're not on the know, streets. On the streets, on the streets around, putting right? graffiti on our buildings. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, you know. That we have to clean up. <laughs> it's all the same. It's the yeah. same, like, theories. When, um, when the loop started really developing, and this is an interesting story, the loop started really developing, all of a sudden, um, we started getting the bad apples on the east side of the loop, pawn shops, payday loan places, all these places, liquor stores. All of a sudden, that on the other side of Skinker started the really getting uh-huh. derelict. Really started going downhill on the city side. Because they didn't have as many customers. Well, but why? No. So because why? they wanted because to be wanted in a transitional be- neighborhood where there was enough wealth that they could make money off people. But not, you know, like in West County, I guess, where people didn't need them, right? And a transitional neighborhood is what those vultures so, look for. And they're vultures. They literally feed off poor, relatively poor people. Check cashing places. The interest rate, I don't know if you knew this, but the interest rate per day is like 10% or something like that. Oh, I think that's on the low end, but... Yeah, okay. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just... It's, so why it's, it's really predatory businesses. Guys, I don't get that. So right? a lot of our philosophies um, have been shaped by that. So, for example, we have a loan program within our company. So if you have a hardship and you're an employee, we give you an interest-free loan. So you can stay in your home or buy that car so you can get to work. And, and we have a whole peer and, and manager review process so that... People who have true hardship are the ones getting loans. So, but we're trying to get people off the payday loan stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we do it. So we cash uh, their same checks thing. and give them debit cards. So if mm-hmm. there's some, because people don't real, I don't think anybody realizes in the real estate business how hard it is for people. For example, you know, if you have bad credit, you can't get a, ch- a checking account. Well, if you can't get a checking account, then you're spending all your money on money orders to pay your bills and on payday loan places to cash your checks, right? Versus people like us. And that's we worked with the Pulaski Bank at the time to create this program where they would bring their paychecks into Pulaski and Pulaski would give them a debit card that could not be overdrawn. Love it. So that's go, key. That's it. That's so amazing. it cost them zero dollars to basically cash their check. And then we and then they could go to, to Schnooks and pay their utilities and pay off, you know, with that debit without card. Without all the big fees. And then, without any fees. So. Right. And then we started a thing where um, they, they would, we'd get them an account, but they couldn't overdraw the account. It was just exactly how much their paycheck went, went directly into their account. And then they could learn how to do online banking and paying their bills online. Because even if you go to Schnooks, Schnooks charges you a fee. Right. So then we did online banking where they weren't charged a fee. So then all of a sudden, you know, five dollars to you doesn't seem like a lot of money. It's but if you're making ten dollars an hour, right? It's, it's half, an half an hour, hour of your life that you that you spent working, right? Yeah. Just to you pay just the given fee. up. So I know this is totally off topic, but it it wasn't interesting. But back to the real estate thing. So what happened in the loop was we got with Lyda Cruson and we said, Okay, this East Loop is getting really bad and she was the to... alderman of the 20 okay she was the, the alderman time. at right. the time it was dan mcguire really dan who, and Lida. dan is the one it was, idea. it was dan and um, put it in and anyway that's why we hired him for the grove to write the this one is the, the beauty grove. of husband and wife yeah, trust, yeah. Me. Yeah. trust me on this yeah, one right. that's well, why i love it it has dan's signature on it it has dan's signature but anyway so we did this thing called um a special business district where we said okay there's not going to be any um we're going to say no to all these predatory businesses in advance mm-hmm. so that when we go into a neighborhood uh, like the Grove, we have a, an SVD in the Grove and it says you can't have a um, you can't have a check cashing place. You can't have a payday loan place. You can't have a pawn shop. You can't have a liquor store. You can't have a drive up um, drive through. Right. Did you know that you can't have that in the Grove without special permission which you know is why a drive through restaurant anything yeah drive through anything drive through anything without the, getting a variance so which means variance. the neighborhood can weigh in and say you know what this business is a is a worthy business we're going to give them a variance but at least the community has a chance to weigh in 
yes. on what I think they that want. That's really interesting. That yes. was the whole point of the special use ordinance. Yeah. Was, so, okay. you know, as, if you're there and you're operating, you're grandfathered. But if you move and someone else wants to come in and operate the same non-conforming business, well, now you need a variance. So the neighborhood has a chance to weigh in and the neighborhood development committee has a chance to, you know, allow public comment. You can decide as, an, as a community whether it's a good idea or not. That's the whole point. It's not to just stop you from doing something. It's just to make it so that it's a... Uh, a very transparent process that you have to follow. The, the, so the you community don't, the feels city like doesn't they have a get voice. to just issue you a, a permit, and you do it whether the community wants you there or not. So it gives them vo- a voice. It gives the voice to the. Community. So, like for example, our thing says no tattoo parlors, but there's two of them now in the think, grove. Right, the thinking has changed about tattoo parlors. Yeah. Right. It wasn't it's mainstream before. <laughs> it's a lot more mainstream today. It's so, tattoo parlors. Yeah, but they right. had to get a variance because it was in the special use ordinance that that's not uh, allowable And the community use. said yes. And the community said, and the community yes. said yeah, well, sure. So there you go. You have them. Let's see. We, we have to, so, you guys are so interesting. We're just like, can we extend this podcast a couple hours? <laughs> I, I think what's wildly, <laughs> I think what's so interesting about it. this podcast is it's, you know, we came into it with that real estate aspect, but it's anything but real estate. It's, it's really, really about community rebuilding and in a, in a and everything urban... that's involved in that and taking oh, yeah. care of the employees and making them a better part of the community and correct i mean it's correct well, and coming a, uh, back to the why yeah. if that dishwasher who's working at hotel st louis doesn't understand what our mission is then we're less likely to succeed in our mission it has to go all the way down love it that's exactly so. what simon sinek would say too probably yeah <laughs> So as a uh, new Gill fanboy over here, that's what I think I'm using the term right. Um, what would you guys say is an area? You said you get calls about this a lot. What are, what's kind of an area that's, what's the next area? that? So we avoided downtown St. Louis uh-huh. for 25 years. We felt there were lots. Number one, we felt it was very politicized. And we're not political animals. Mm-hmm. We don't do politics well. Just so you know. We do that's politics just, abysmally. Yes. We're just not, we're not political animals. And that's a big period. one to take on too, downtown. So we had avoided it because there are lots of people who were working there and we felt like they were doing fine. But in 25 years, we renovated over 400 buildings in the city of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. We brought back, by my calculation, somewhere close to 4,000 residents back into the city into abandoned buildings that we renovated. Okay. And during that time, the city of St. Louis lost 150,000 people in population. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, we kind of felt like the little Dutch kid in the fable with his yeah. finger and the hole in the dike. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't working. And the more we thought about it, the more we realized how important downtown is, not just for the economics of the region, but also for the psyche of a community like St. Louis. I think part of the reason that St. Louisans are so down on on St. Louis is because of the decline of downtown. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to give St. Louis something to feel better about (coughs) themselves, about the region and about downtown. And so taking the only privately owned uh, Louis Sullivan building in the world, buying it, we took a leap of faith and paid cash for it and bought it, right? And then renovating it into an autograph collection hotel, which Kansas City has two autograph collection hotels. We had none. Zero. And the tagline for autograph collection is exactly like nothing else. Hmm. And it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. And it's, it's an by experiential, Marriott. It's a Marriott. Yeah, Marriott soft property. brand. It's an experiential um, uh, The brand. autograph series. Yes, or, autograph sure. collection. Yeah. A collection that they yes. have. It, they're right. truly unique. Correct. And both Amy and I sit on the advisory board. Mm -hmm. So so we gave downtown St. Louis that. But my feeling is that's not enough, obviously. We're going to be redeveloping the chemical. God willing, the creek don't rise. The chemical building next door. Next door. Mm -hmm. We'll be expanding the hotel in there. Are you just expanding expanding the the spa? Mm -hmm. We'll do an indoor pool. An apartment. Expand the spa. 72 apartments. 91 hotel rooms. Another rooftop restaurant and bar. Outdoor, uh, another ballroom, another outdoor um, event space, etc. But the 
if if communities thrived in the shape of a donut, then we'd design every new community as a donut with a big dead hole in the middle. But that's not how we design thriving or we design communities, period. We design them with a vibrant beating heart at the center of it all. The the towns that are doing the best, the Midwestern towns, the, the towns in the US that are doing really, really well, the regions that are doing really, really well and becoming more relevant regionally, name them, Nashville, Indianapolis, Omaha, Omaha, they have a thriving, beating heart at the center of their community. Downtown. Downtown. We don't. They do. So we decided to go downtown. And we're going to continue to develop there, and we're going to continue to help the the developers that are there, the the owners that are there, and hopefully, um, someday in my lifetime, we'll see downtown as the thriving, you know, vibrant, beating heart of a very vibrant region that's relevant not just on the regional level but on the national scene, like we used to be a hundred so years ago. What do you see that it would take? What do you think it needs to create that beating heart? So what it needs is for young people to embrace it. And we need exciting things to do downtown so that, that that generation, my kids, his generation, want to be downtown. For the record, he was pointing at Joey, the producer. And you're talking about not just be <laughs> downtown, they want to be down downtown. Too, right? They want to live downtown. And that's why we're creating 72 one-bedroom apartments. That the, the effective rent will be about a, a buck 60, a buck 50. Per unit, uh, per, per, per square, square foot. All inclusive. For, all, for, wow. No, it'll be with effective rent. Okay, okay. When you include valet parking, etc., you'll be about at a buck eighty, a buck ninety, right? Wow, valet. Um, all utilities will be included. Valet parking. Uh, you have, of course, you have access to um, you know room service and housekeeping service, and I mean you're living in a hotel, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. But if they if they find downtown exciting and they move downtown, guess what? Every major corporation in the world wants to hire that generation right now. That's who they're recruiting. Mm-hmm. And if they want to be downtown, those companies have to come downtown. That's my theory. So that's why we're building small... Build it and they will come theory? Like yes. We're we okay. aiming our, our the residential units directly at that age group, the 22 to 36-year-olds. And that's kind of what you're doing on the residential side. Are you going to Correct. do things on the, like, do things with office buildings and or anything like that? Will well, you make office that's, spaces that's more? Yet, that's yet to be seen. But there's lots of other developers who are doing lots of exciting things in the office space. They don't need us to do that if we can bring enough of the workers that need to that that fill those office spaces up. If we can bring enough of them downtown. Mm-hmm. Those office spaces will fill up because companies will be forced to move down there because this is a generation that doesn't like to drive. They like public transportation. They like their bikes. They like to walk. Yeah. And by the way, you said fun things. I would like to see a zip line downtown. Like off one building. You can... <laughs> can I just zip hey, line to work? Well, we're going to have oh. all kinds of fun stuff. We're going to have a movie theater in the chemical. Yeah. Good. Love that. A little one. Just like sure. 24 seats. But for our residents, yeah, they can have a party down there. Perfect. And, and watch a movie or whatever. I may even have a golf simulator down there so they can play games. Wow. But, I mean, we have lots There's of There's a bowling crazy... alley a block away. There's the National There's Blues the Museum MX a block Theater away. a half a block away. Right. There's a bowling alley I mean, a block there's, away. There's lots of exciting Axe things to do. Axe throwing is a block away. There's plenty of things downtown to do. There, we have more We just want to make it more exciting. More things to do downtown if we can get another building down there after we do the chemical. And, you know, we... But... The thing is, the funny thing is, is I have small developers friends who will say, well, you know, downtown. But there's lots of small buildings downtown that yeah. are vacant, right? Lots of them. So, you know, there's lots of room for everyone. There's, there's lots of opportunity. And as a region, if we care about St. Louis as a region and its place in this nation, then we have got to make downtown a lot more vibrant. That's a great note to end on, by the way. I know you guys have another meeting to go to. We have a whole list of questions we wanted to ask, but a lot of it, 
people can go to your website and they can see about the projects that you're doing. People can follow you guys on Facebook and they can learn more of the fun things that you guys have going on. Uh, Joey will end up adding, you know, links to your website and your social media and stuff like that. But do you mind just telling us your website for anybody who's listening? Sure. It's uh, uh, www.restorationstl.com. Perfect. Okay. Well, we really appreciate you guys being here. This, this was has been awesome. super interesting. <laughs> this is a- yeah, I'm honored to have you in here. You know, I was uh, really excited when I heard that it was going to be the two of you coming in from your to you know to represent your company. So that's amazing. Um, thank you very much to thank anyone you. who's listening, thank and thank you guys for coming in. Uh, so, I guess that's it. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you.